Want to do better? Then it's time to change the story. Welcome to our show about new visions currently transforming the world through the confluence of art, tech, and innovation. And now your hosts, Michael Ashley and Neil Sahota. Hey, welcome to another episode of Changing the Story. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today, Patrick Schwartfeger. He's a business futurist specializing in technology trends, including artificial intelligence, blockchain, and disruptive innovation. He's the author of Anarchy, Inc., Profiting in a Decentralized World with Artificial Intelligence and Blockchain, as well as four other books. He has lectured at numerous academic institutions, including Purdue and Stanford. He's also a regular speaker from Bloomberg TV, founder of Trend Mastery, Inc., and the host of the Strategic Business Insights video blog. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thanks, Neil. I appreciate the introduction. I'm happy to be here with you today. Thank you, Patrick. So as a visionary, what is the story that you'd like to bring to the world? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we're in the middle of this, uh, you know, the time we're recording this, we're still in, in this quarantine uh, from the pandemic. So uh, things have changed very quickly, uh, all of a sudden. And it's actually remarkable, like the, the book that, that I wrote a couple of years ago, talks about a whole bunch of trends uh, of what's happening in the world and, and, and really primarily in the field of technology. And now it turns out that a lot of those, see that what's happening, it's not that we have new trends, it's that the trends that we have have accelerated dramatically. Uh, so obviously I didn't predict the pandemic, no one predicted the pandemic that I know of, but, but the result of the pandemic has, has accelerated all these trends. and and. You know, a lot of these, what, what kills me about what's happening right now, guys, honestly, is that the, the, this pandemic and the quarantine and the economic kind of catastrophe that we're, we're in the middle of is, is just, I mean, it's going to hurt the bottom half of the population way more than the top half. Now, I'm not saying that the top half isn't going to be affected. And maybe all three of us are in the top half, you know, whatever, but Everyone's going to be affected one way or another, but the, the disproportionate impact on the life of the population is just, is just staggering and sobering uh, for me and probably for you and for many of us. I kind of feel like I'm walking through like three feet of mud mm -hmm. uh, just because it, it, it's just really hard to see what's happening. So anyway, you know, change equals opportunity. And, and I, I use this metaphor. I, I have a new book that, that's going to be on Amazon next week, uh, which, so the, the last book is, as you mentioned, Neil, is, is called Anarchy Inc. Um, and the new one is called Pandemic Inc. So it's, it's, they're kind of sister books, if you will. Um, and one of the metaphors I use in there is that, you know, normally in life, you, you kind of picture your life and the, your environment, the economy, your job, just the reality of, of your existence as a hundred blocks. And most of the time, 95 of those blocks are basically nailed down for the most part. They're not, they're not really moving that much. There's really five or six or seven that are in motion at any one point in time. Well, today we're exactly in the opposite situation. We've got like 95 blocks are in motion. Everything's in motion. Nothing's nailed down. We don't know anything. I mean, it, the whole thing is, is just, you know, it's like you're in the middle of, of a raging river. There's nothing to hold on to. Everything's moving. And so that results in a heightened level of anxiety for people and stress. And, and, and that's what I referred to a second ago. Financial hardship, medical hardship, of course, uh, is a huge one today. 
But the yeah. bottom line is that creates a lot of opportunities too, right? All of a sudden, anything is possible and things are, people are, are going to consider solutions they never even would have considered, you know, three months ago. And, and there's an opportunity for leadership and, and heroes will be made in this time. And, and so it's a question of how do we step up? How do we bold, be bold leaders? How do we re-envision tomorrow's economy? And, and that, that's what I'm trying to do with the new book, right? Obviously, and I think that's what you guys are doing with your podcast there's an opportunity here for people to step up and, and everyone, we are all searching for leaders, even those of us who are trying to be leaders. I'm trying to be a leader in some capacity, but I'm also in search of other leaders. I'm buying new books. I'm finding new people on YouTube that I can follow uh, and, and different podcasts like what you're doing. So we're all searching for leadership. We're all searching for guidance and, and that's that's very very exciting, and, and I think there's you know the future holds a lot of opportunities for small businesses and and, and self-employed people to stake their claim and uh, and redefine tomorrow's economy. Well, that's that's awesome. I think opportunity is definitely the right word to use. So obviously, like you know, COVID has shown a light on all the weaknesses or good enough. Yeah, and I think we have the opportunity not to just to say that like, let's just revive things, but we could rebuild things in a more sustainable way. Right, but there's an opportunity to not just be disruptive, but to do disruption uh, because we actually need it. And I mean, Patrick, I mean, how how would you suggest people actually start like getting that mindset? How can they get rolling with this, you know, opportunity they're being handed? Well, you know, everyone's gonna everyone's gonna find their own way. Like, no two people's my contribution is going to be different than yours, Neil and Michael. Yours, you you have a unique skill set as well. So we all kind of have a unique uh, opportunity. But I, I think the the first thing, at least, I'll, I'll tell you what I've been trying to do is I've just been trying to hear as many different viewpoints as I can find, and and try and understand what is my viewpoint amidst all this noise. Uh, and there's so much, you know, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who, th who, who think this whole thing is just a big lie. But those, those people are out there too. Mm. Uh, and, and they're a sizable part of the population, you know, a real percentage. So we have to be aware of those people. And, and so anyway, like the new book is, is all about these kind of eight trends uh, that, that form a convenient acronym. The, the acronym is salvaged. So, <laughs> which just kind of worked out, you know, organically, but uh, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what they are just briefly. I sure. mean, S is, is self-sufficiency, A, analytics, uh, L is liquidity, V is virtualization, the second A is automation, G is government, which is playing just a huge role in, in the economy today. Uh, the biggest role of any individual participant is the government. So what can you sell to the government or how can you help the government achieve, even if you hate government, a lot of people hate government, but how can you contribute? Bottom line is there's still a customer or a potential customer. So how can you, you look at that? E is exponential thinking and D is decentralization, which of course is the, the real, you know, the crux of my, my previous book, uh, Anarchy Inc. We have this kind of large macro trend towards decentralization. So anyway, the book is not designed to tell you know, you, Michael, or you, Neil, here's what you should do. Because you're you're gonna you're gonna know that yourself based on your own skill set, your past history and experience and so on. Um, but it's to say here's what the trends are, here's what's accelerating, and, and there's a whole bunch of questions at the end of every chapter, there's a series of questions, just to try and tickle the mind and be like, hey, these are things that you can think about 
but let, let me let me offer one more thing, which maybe Michael doesn't, you know, relate directly to your question, but but it's something that I've that I, you know, I, I live by the axiom: the road to being is through doing. That uh, like business plans are completely worthless, in my opinion. Okay, but you know, people create these business plans, and they create you know step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But the only step that has any reliability really is step one. Because once you finish step one, most likely all the other steps are immediately invalidated because you learned something mm-hmm. in the first step. So step two doesn't reveal itself until you're finished step one. Like you have to do something. And, and, and the, the, even if it's something small, right? Like creating this podcast. I mean, that is something that you are doing. That is within your control. You are taking a step forward. And in the process of doing that, you're going to learn things. And so even probably today, you already have perspective on what you're doing that you couldn't have had before you started what you've started, right? And the same thing is true for me. Like I, I didn't plan to write the book. I mean, I had, it was a client who, who, who contacted me and wanted me to do a webinar on uh, the pandemic and how businesses could survive uh, the situation. So I did research and even that didn't lead to the book. I, I, I wanted feedback on, cause I created some PowerPoint slides and, and did a screen capture video of what I was planning to present to this group. Uh, and I put that on, on Facebook and LinkedIn and it got a few hundred views and, and I sent it out to an email list and I got a bunch of feedback and eventually, uh, a woman contacted me and she is the producer for a, a television. Uh, you know, it's a small regional television station in Atlanta, Georgia. And she wanted me to do an interview for them. So I, I did, and it went well. And they asked me to, to come back and, and do it again. And, and so I contacted a PR company that I worked with a few years ago and told her uh, my contact there, what had happened. And she was enthusiastic. And so she said she was going to send out a pitch the following Tuesday and it was only on that Saturday in between uh, right there where I was like, you know, I should write a book to support her pitch, right? And, and then it was only actually the following week where I thought, you know what, I'm going to do the book either way, uh, even if she doesn't get any response to the pitch. So, but the point is, it's organic, right? You take step one, all of a sudden step two becomes obvious and clear. And then you take step two, and now you have even a new perspective, and now step three becomes obvious. And once you've done that, step four, and it's an organic thing. So, you know, as, as self-employed people, entrepreneurs, small business owners, or even executive decision makers for large companies, don't, don't worry about creating a master plan. The situation is too fluid. Things are changing too quickly. Just do something. Do, do the first thing that's right in front of your face. Do that. And then analyze the heck out of it and see what happened. Did it work? Did it not work? And learn from it and then decide what the next step is and just organically be willing to, 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 to let the path reveal itself along the way rather than having you know, a detailed plan up front. Absolutely. Well, so actually, I want to talk about a different book that you wrote uh, that I actually happened had a chance to read over January, which was Keynote, Keynote Mastery. And uh-huh. so uh, you know, you, you're a, a world-traveled public speaker. And I imagine you had a lot of events coming up before all this struck. So yeah. for people that are public speakers, um, that was the major part of your living uh, until this all began. I wonder what is the new normal for that? What are your thoughts about innovating, especially for people that are doing public speaking in the age of COVID-19? Yeah, well, I mean, 
you know, everything, I mean, it's gone, right? That, that career for the time being is, is gone. So, you know, all my events were immediately canceled and, and uh, you know, I have nothing. I mean, I, now I actually have some things on the calendar coming up, but, but the bottom line is, you know, they're virtual for the most part. I've done a bunch of webinars and such. I have a, a couple coming up. Um, but here's the deal. I mean, some people, and I know a lot of them actually, that once, you know, we pass phase two, phase three, we open back up, they're going to go right back to business as usual without skipping a beat. I mean, I know a lot of people like that. They're not afraid of the virus. Uh, for better or for worse, I'm not. I'm not, you know, saying that they should or should not be afraid of the virus. I personally am not really that concerned. I think, you know, I'm, I'm healthy enough. If I got it, I haven't gotten it yet that I know of, and I think if I did, I'd probably be be okay. But, 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 but whether, regardless of of any of that, there's a percentage of the population, and we don't yet know what that percentage is, that is not going to feel comfortable going back out there and, and getting on a plane and going to a conference. Uh, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 20, maybe it's 30, maybe it's 40. I, I really have no idea. That's a, the, these are the questions. That's why everything is so fluid. We just don't know. But, but it's, it's greater than zero. And I'm willing to bet it's greater than 10%. So there's going to be fewer events. And the events that exist are going to have fewer people, which means the budgets are going to be lower. Uh, so fewer events, lower budgets, which means that the size of the pie for people who earn, you know, I earn over 90% of my income is speaking fees. Uh, so for the people in that, in that uh, bucket, the, the pie is going to shrink. So like the book, for example, you know, so if the same number of speakers stay in the business and the pie gets smaller, then all of us on average are going to earn less, Right. Our opportunity is going to diminish uh, somewhat. So uh, it was really important for me to get in front of this topic. Now, again, that wasn't a master plan going in, but but as I started going down that path, I realized how important it was for me. And I, I mean, I'm a futurist. This is what I study trends. So it was a perfect fit for me. I mean, it made sense to try and to try and make something of this, but but it was really important to try and get in front of the topic because I'm I'm protecting my career. Like everything I've worked for could be taken away. Right? That, that could easily happen is that it, it could, it could all go away. And I've had, I've been very lucky. You know, I, I struggled like crazy, Michael, as you know, uh, for years. Uh, but, but the last, you know, say five years, six years have been really, really good and nice and awesome and better than I expected even. And, 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 you know, kind of shocking in a way. So Anyway, for someone to, you know, and I live in fear, I, I'm that type of person to begin with. I'm always worried that someone's going to come along and take it all away. And so now, like I, you know, I'm terrified. I mean, terrified is the wrong word, but I'm absolutely almost expecting that someone's going to take this away unless I figure out a way to redefine myself too. So, you know, everything is going to go virtual. I mean, you know, it's just a matter of time. I mean, it's already happened with Zoom, but here's the thing, like, you know, Zoom and WebEx and GoToMeeting and, and uh, Facebook's come out with something and, you know, Google's got now their Google, their competitive platform. So it's, they're happening all over. And they're, I think they're more engaging and effective than the average person expects when they go in. Mm-hmm. Like even what we're doing now, it's, you know, it's pretty good, I think. <laughs> um, not bad, right? Right, yeah. It's engaging. But at the same time, like it's not, it's also not as good as in person, especially 
you know, there's three, just three of us. So we're all looking at the computer. There's, we're one of three and we know we're going to be on this video. So we have an incentive to look at that little blue light on the top of our computers or whatever it is for you on your, on your machine. But, you know, if there's 26 people or 200 people, right? Like people are moving around and they're, you know, getting out of the, and then all of a sudden they come back again and, and a cat jumps on the lap of one of them. And, and, you know, all of a sudden you hear a dog barking or a, you know, whatever. And so that it's not that engaging. And for the person who's speaking, you know, or at that moment in time, it's incredibly difficult to stay focused when you can see all of these distractions on these little micro feeds, you know, dozens of them on your screen. So it's not that engaging. So there's room for improvement. Now, what happens when virtual reality comes into the picture? Uh, and you know, just just uh, the beginning of last year, Microsoft was uh, awarded a 480 million dollar order for uh, augmented reality glasses for the military, uh, Department of Defense. That is a leading indicator, right? That's that is an. It shows us where we're going. I mean, mm-hmm. I have no idea how many headsets are involved, but you can bet that thousands, maybe tens of thousands of soldiers are going to be trained on using those headsets. They're part of the population, so their familiarity and expertise will will propagate through their own circles. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's a real, we're getting close. We've been talking about VR for a decade, but we're finally getting close uh, to, to true deployment and, and, and broad market adoption. And I'm sure both of you have tried it. I've, I've certainly tried it. It is incredibly immersive and engaging when you're wearing those glasses, like the cat walking in your room does not exist. Right. Like you are in that other world. And, 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 you know, imagine going to a conference where you can, you know, virtually walk down the, the, the hallways of a convention center and bump into other avatars people who you've met before and, and you immediately have, you know, a synopsis of, of your previous interactions and, and, and you can talk to the, that person over your microphone and headset and, and engage with them and, and go to a session and see people around you. I mean, that is going to change. I mean, arguably those virtual experiences will be even more engaging than the real world. So, you know, we've got the real world today. We've got Zoom, which is not bad, but it's kind of below the real world. And then VR could, could, could be literally better than the real world. And, and just, I mean, one little thing that, you know, I always think about how is this likely to play out. And, and once a VR headset gains broad market adoption, so that a lot of people are using them, there's going to be a mad dash for every business to consumer, you know, B2C company to develop increasingly immersive and creative and unbelievable experiences, which will be available on their websites as part of their marketing funnel to engage potential customers, right? And so, you know, there's going to be, people are literally going to be able to spend all day, every day, like kids probably to begin with, but it'll go, you know, like Ferrari will have some unbelievable experience where you can go through a racetrack and, and Disney will have like the Lion King where you can talk to, you know, Simba or whatever. I mean, there's just going to be, you know, hundreds, thousands of different experiences. And people will be like, oh, did you see the one that Coca-Cola did in the, in the Arctic with the polar bears? I mean, there's going to be tons. And so people are going to, you know, spend a lot of time. There's a lot of people who have like really 
maybe not so happy lives, right? And they're not, the real world is not that fun for them. Uh, it'll start with, with that. If you think about it like a pyramid, it'll start kind of at the bottom, the people who are frustrated in the real world. But it, it'll move up as, as, as these experiences just get better and better and better. It's going to you know, draw in an increasing percentage of our population which will, who will willingly leave the real world behind in favor of a virtual world that's more engaging for them. And we, we've heard these stories already with video games and so on, but we are just getting started. And, and that is, you know, it's an opportunity perhaps, but it's kind of a dystopian future. So there, there's, you know, there's both sides where we're going to see it play out. I, uh, I, I think you actually onto something here, Patrick, because I, I look at you know, COVID-19 is turning to accelerator for some things. That you know, you know, Michael and I both teach part time at you know different universities, and you know, people were saying like ah, online classes. It'll probably happen 10, 15 years down the road. And suddenly, overnight, we had to do it. Now yeah. you have people actively talking about, well, maybe we should start thinking about virtual classes for the near future to create you know better engagement. It's been kind of an eye opener. I mean, I think this really speaks to the opportunities you're you're talking about, and we all have those different perspectives. There's probably an accelerator for for everybody out there to try and find, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you talk about the online education. You know, my girlfriend has a six year old uh, boy, and so we've been watching, you know, what how that's been handled, and they have these adaptive learning platforms where, uh, you know, the the system knows if you got something wrong, if you, if you're struggling with the content, it automatically redirects you into kind of a subroutine where you can learn that better and then it brings you back to the primary lesson plan. And then the next time you have a, a problem, it does it again. And so what was happening is you no longer have a need for being tested. Uh, the, 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 the question is not, what was your score on the test? The question is, what level are you on? Because you can only get to the subsequent level once you've demonstrated proficiency with the previous level. And so we see this with kids. And, and so then I, I think, okay, What's likely to happen for the traditional education route, you know, colleges and universities, which are so insanely expensive and student, student, you know, edu student loans and so on. So, you know, that's a very broken system, ripe for disruption. So what's, what's going to the future going to be? Well, it's not going to be driven by the colleges and universities because, you know, there's so much competition, particularly in the STEM fields uh, for, for good talent that the companies like, like Google and Microsoft and Facebook, they've already developed their own online learning platforms to train their own people. And, and things are changing so fast that even if you have a degree, it, it doesn't at all mean that you're qualified to do what we have to do next month or next year because things change that fast. So it, it's, a, it's a necessity for them to have these online learning platforms. Uh, and, and, and they're going to just, you know, driven by the profit motive, they're going to, incorporate every innovation that they can find to make those learning platforms as effective as possible, which means the adaptive learning piece is being incorporated into those platforms as well. So once we get a few stories of, you know, 19, 20-year-old kids that didn't go to university or college at all, but got hired at Google or Facebook because of God knows what, and ended up with a good job paying hundred grand a year or more, whatever that number is, like their success stories in corporate America without going to university, 
right? Once we get a few of those success stories in the, in the following, you know, let's say 10 years, right? That's really how long disruption people think, you know, it takes, you know, 20, 30 years to disrupt an industry. It's not true at all. And, and not even, not even recently, like the, the car, you know, the car completely replaced horses, horse and buggy literally in 13 years. So within 10 years, you can completely turn an industry upside down. So all we need is a few of those stories of these kids that end up doing really well uh, without going to university and college and all the future, you know, the people who are currently in high school graduating in a year or two, they're going to say, screw that. I'm not, I'm not going to university or college. I don't need to. I can, I can do it another way and save myself, you know, 200 grand or hundred grand or 400 grand or whatever that is, you know, and, and get there sooner and faster and without all that bullshit. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming, right? All these things are coming, and they're coming, they're going to come a lot faster than people think. Well, so, uh, to that to that end, uh, before we wrap up, can you give a, can you give us a few more things that are coming just down the road that people might not be aware of? Because this was very eye opening about virtual reality and especially the creating aspect. I hadn't thought about that. Um, a few more things that people may not see that that you uh, see that's, that's coming. People aren't aware of. Well, I mean, the the, the big one for me is is, uh, is the automobile sector and transportation in general. And obviously, everyone immediately goes to the autonomous driving piece. And I think that's coming very quick, for sure, faster than people think. I think level five autonomy will be approved. The, the regulators will approve it probably 2023, I'm guessing, so three years from now. Um, but the, the bigger piece is the transition from gas vehicles to electric vehicles, because you know, the gas vehicles have, uh, you know, on average, about 2,000 moving parts. Uh, electric vehicles have less than a hundred, <laughs> less than that's a ninety-five percent reduction in parts, moving parts. So that completely changes the production uh, lines, simplifies the production lines. It simplifies the aftermarket service, you know, auto body parts and and that sort of you know the requirements. Guys, there's there's a truck outside. I'm sure you can hear it beeping in the background. I'm sorry, that's just Murphy's law, but no problem. We'll see what we can do in post. <laughs> but the microphone probably picks up that beeping like louder than my own voice. So I apologize for that. No worries. Anyway, um, so so there's gonna be a dramatic simplification of the of the of the manufacturing process and service industry for automobiles. But the single most expensive part in an electric car is the battery. And we've been mapping the, re the cost reduction curve of battery technology for years. It's dropping by you know, 12, 13, 14% per year right now. And so you can very easily project forward and, and, and anticipate when it will literally be cheaper to buy an electric car than a gas car. And that's likely to happen also around 2023. But that doesn't even take into consideration that electricity is 90% cheaper than gas on a per mile basis which means that the lower overall cost of ownership will hit around 2021. And the service expense after, after purchase will also be less. So uh, late last year, October, I think, Amazon announced that it was purchasing 100,000 electric delivery trucks from Ravion, I think, Ravion, uh, which is a, an electric uh, car startup here in the United States. That's another leading indicator. They made that decision because they're going to save money by doing it, which means that a thousand other corporations that also have delivery trucks will in the next two, three, four years make the same decision, right? Which means we're going to see a massive shift 
I mean, literally in the next two, three years, we're going to see a massive shift. And by 2025, it will make absolutely no sense at all to purchase an ICE, an ICE, ICE, ICE's internal combustion engine, a gas vehicle. It won't make any sense to, to make that purchase. And the last element of that, um, in fact, there's two more elements if we have time, but uh, one is that uh, uh, transport as a service. So you have autonomous driving on one side, you've got electric vehicles on the other. The inevitable, you combine those two and you end up with companies that will offer transportation as a service. So where you literally, you know, you can call a, a car just like you call an Uber today and a car comes and picks you up and it's autonomously driven and it's an electric vehicle. And the cost of that, so if roughly 70% of your Uber rates go to the driver. So you can eliminate that. Uh, and, and then meanwhile, uh, it's not going to go down by 75% because the Uber has to actually buy the vehicles, which they don't have to do today. So let's say it goes down by half uh, right there. And then the electric part is 90% cheaper than gas on a per mile basis and services even cheaper. So you can take 90% of 50% and you end up with a 95% reduction on a per mile basis. So uh, between 90 and 95%. So today the average cost per mile uh, on Uber or Lyft is about $2, $2 a mile on average. Uh, well, we can expect that to go down to between uh, 10 and 20 cents. And Elon Musk just recently said that their robo-taxi service, uh, they're expecting it to be roughly 18 cents a mile, which is right in that range. So we can expect that to be much cheaper, which means like most people won't even bother buying a vehicle at all. And companies like Uber will use Wall Street money to buy 100,000 all at one shot. And so they're going to be entire fleets. So people think, oh, it's going to take a long time for this to propagate through because people only buy a vehicle once every you know, 10 years or whatever it is on average. But that's not true at all. Because it's going to be these companies that are going to buy a hundred thousand at a shot, and you know, and that that doesn't even include you know the average car is parked ninety four percent of the time. Autonomous cars can drive ninety percent of the time, so we need fewer cars to to replace the the actual mobility, like what the actual level of transport. We don't need as many vehicles because the vehicles we have can be driving more often. So this whole thing is going to is going to turn upside down and there's a whole bunch of different implications more traffic because it's cheaper to get around less parking because those cars don't have to be parked most of the time oil prices will stay low because demand is going to go down you know demand only has to drop by you know 5 to 10% for the oil price to collapse and we're seeing that right now so oil prices are going to stay low for a long 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 time uh, it'll probably never come back to what they have been uh, in, in, in the last 10 years, certainly. So there's just, you know, and these big auto companies are going to most likely collapse, you know, with, with be a couple of exceptions, Tesla is incredibly well positioned uh, and a few others are as well, but you know, a lot of big changes and it's exciting, but it, it does mean that there's going to be failures and there's going to be new companies that are going to grow dramatically to fill the void left behind by those failed companies. Absolutely. Hey, that's, that's fantastic. Um, Patrick, how could people learn more about you, what you're up to, what's going on in the world? What's the best way to connect? Um, yeah, thank you, Neil. Um, you know, I, I, my full name, my, my website address is patrickschwartfager.com, which I know is a stupid choice for a domain. Um, you can actually go to bookpatrick.com and it should forward. 
but I've even had some problems with that recently. So anyway, if you're, if you're watching this video, you probably see my name somewhere. It, it, the website is, is patrickschwartfigure.com. You know, it, it's targeted towards companies that are hiring speakers. So it's not really, there isn't a lot there like to purchase, for example, but, but my, my new book's coming out, Pandemic Inc. It, by the time you put this on YouTube, uh, probably it will be on Amazon. I'm expecting it to be up there in, in a week or so, maybe less. Um, and certainly if anyone has any questions, you know, go to my site and click on the contact tab. You know, again, it's, it's designed for events, but just send me a note that comes right into my own email box. And, and I, I'd certainly love to hear from anyone who's, who's curious about these topics. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for coming on our show. And we look forward to reading that book. Yeah. Thank you, Michael, for the invitation. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, if you like today's show, please remember to hit the like button and leave a comment. If you've been enjoying the Changing the Story podcast series, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you.